And it's Thursday, November 14th. Welcome to Pints and Politics, our 20th program of the year. Pints and Politics is a bi-weekly discussion program of all things political, coming to you through the facilities of Trent Radio, CFFF in Peterborough, 92.7 on your FM dial. My name is Bill Templeman. Joining me tonight in the studio is an environmental panel to look at the Peterborough Alliance for Climate Action and its plans and goals for the future. We have activist and writer Tricia Clarkson, designer and activist Graham Mars, grandfather and caring, caring human being, Key Hanchett, a climate activist and leader of the Stop Climate Change Party, Ken Rainey, and grandmother and peace activist, Sheila Novogon-Howlett. Thanks to all of you for joining me on a frosty early winter night here in Studio A. First up, could someone please explain for our listeners what Peterborough Alliance for Climate Change or, or Climate Action or PACA is all about? What is what's this group do and what do you hope to achieve? Okay, PACA is a, a group of um, caring individuals. This is Trisha. This is Trisha, a group of uh, climate change activists that um, are concerned about the environment and want to pass along uh, that uh, public awareness to others, um, invite them to join the group and join the conversation, and also to stage events about uh, climate change, offer information, uh, work collaborati- collaboratively with other local environmental groups, and with a with a, a large focus on uh, demanding a dramatic reduction of carbon emissions in Canada and advocate the use of renewable energy. Great. Now now that we're beyond the election and we can look back on it, uh, what needs to happen, of course, the federal election, what needs to happen at the local, provincial and national levels to respond to the ongoing catastrophe of, of disruptive climate change? Now, to start with, most scientists and science journalists I've read agree that the IPCC conclusion that we only have 11 or 12 years left to change the course, or at least uh, to improve humanity's chances of survival, that that's a reality. Uh, now, I don't have a science background, so I don't know how to assess these opinions for myself. Could someone help me with this? I'll try. I'll, I'll try. This is this- Key Hatchet. Uh, caring human being, um, <laughs> and really, it's uh, it comes down to the 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 fact that the 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 issue is really that we're putting too much car- car- greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, and it's causing the temperature of the earth to increase with all kinds of uh, terribly negative consequences uh, to the climate, such as rising sea levels, melting ice, all kinds of other things like that. But it's basically there's too much emissions of greenhouse gases, most of which is carbon dioxide. Okay. Now, when we focus down, uh, of course, we could spend hours on, on hours. We could spend uh, weeks on the global situation. But uh, why don't we start with the local situation? Uh, on a local level, what is PACA's agenda for, or what, what is the most important thing for, for us, uh, and of course listeners, uh, too, uh, living in the Peterborough region, to be focus, focusing on local? And wh- what have those issues involved, the city government? And what can we just do ourselves? Okay, uh, well, um, we, actually, um, we are presently putting a list together of um, major 
solutions, and uh, we are taking them to our local representatives. Um, and uh, some of those, there's actually ten that that could be done, but we've narrowed them down to three or four. Um, and uh, they involve uh, reducing carbon fuel emissions by electrification of transportation, um, retrofitting uh, houses and buildings, um, providing more incentives and rebates um, for um, solar panels and that sort of thing. And a, a large piece is public information, urgent um, public advisory to go out to let uh, people know what they can do to uh, reduce their carbon footprint. Okay, now, is there any room for optimism on the local level? Do we see any movement on issues that are important to this group? Okay, so uh, this is uh, Sheila, and I do I do think that locally we have a good opportunity because in the last uh, provincial election we, we voted in what we would call a progressive council, and... Um, the, for, for several years now, there has been a climate action uh, plan, Peterborough, and uh, the, the, there was a, um, a commissioner, no, that's the wrong word, it was a coordinator of climate action, uh, who actually was really helpful for us when we in Parker, uh, for the um, big climate change rally on September 27th of this year, we... Um, we, we worked very hard with the city and with, the, with all the environmental groups to uh, really make it important to let the candidates in, in the provincial election, uh, sorry, in the federal election, to, to know that climate change was top of, of agenda for Peterborough. And um, we, we trust that the city, with its um, promises of those councillors who... I remember very well when they were um, going for for city council and the mayor included, uh, Mayor Diane, um, climate change was also top of of their agenda. And um, so that was a very successful September 27th uh, event and the climate change coordinator, whose position is is no longer there in the city staff, but we've been assured that the... um, the work of Climate Change Action has now broadened across the spectrum of, of staff at City Hall. <clears throat> so I personally feel very confident that will happen. And I just have before me the proclamation that uh, Mayor Diane um, read on, on uh, that September 27th at the, um, at the event in Millennium Park. And, you know, it's, it ends with, whereas the city of Peterborough is committed to doing our part to take action on our global climate crisis and has declared a climate emergency, and therefore be it resolved that we proclaim September 27th World Action Day, etc. Um, I am hopeful that the commitment of the councillors and the mayor will uh, mean cooperation on this front. Okay, now on the level of planning, is there a window of opportunity for PACA and other local activists to get involved in the various planning exercises that are going on in the city right now, the official plan review, the master transportation plan? Is that a window which which we could address? Graham. Uh, this is Graham, yeah. Uh, I think that the individual should uh, at least try to influence, uh, you know, these decisions that are made by uh, council by writing and being engaged in making sure that the people that represent us consistently uh, understand what we require of them. And I think what we require now is action. Right. 
Right. That's, that's absolutely right, Graham. And one of the things that happened on the night that the uh, council passed the climate emergency declaration was that after they unanimously uh, endorsed the climate emergency for the city of Peterborough, Andrew Beamer sat there and he said, well, I'm not going to vote for anything when money comes along. He's, he basically said, this is going to require money to do anything. And he's already put his foot in the uh, foot into it to put a stake in the sand saying, I'm not supporting it if there's money. So really, until there's some money... It, associated with the budget to do some of the actions that we hope will come out of this, there is not going to be any significant action. Yes, words, as we know, are free. Trisha? Uh, I was impressed that night uh, that the climate change emergency was declared because so many people presented, uh, 16 delegations, influence that decision and uh, now we are going to push for some action um, but um, there is some funding available and uh, that's uh, came last year uh, we're trying to get more this year but uh, one thing they could do is follow Kingston's template and I've made a presentation about this um, where uh, there's two electric city buses there with charging infrastructure uh, there was funding available for that um, and then <clears throat> their councillor Robert Robert Kiley came here to describe how our city could respond um, with the same type of action, um, declared the climate emergency first, and electrification of transportation will then um, show people that you're serious um, about climate change and encourage uh, local citizens to start considering buying electric vehicles themselves. Um, and what the most frustrating thing to see is someone going out and spending just as much money on a gas-fueled SUV as they can get a Kona for just because they don't have the information. So there's a, a lot the city can do. There's an environmental advisory committee. Uh, we've volunteered to be part of that, offer information. But there are there are lots of things that uh, we think uh, residents in general should just go and give presentations every third council meeting uh, presentations can be given uh, anybody concerned about climate change that's listening to this should uh, all it is is a seven minute um, presentation um, write down your ideas bring them to city council uh, every third um, council meeting okay Graham. Yeah, that's right. I think it's very important uh, that we consider uh, adopting something like an electric bus, at least at, as a uh, trial. Um, the city, uh, <clears throat> you know, it, it makes sense for us to be able to put our citizens on something that's clean, uh, modern and efficient and for us to all weigh the uh, benefits of that. I think that'd be a great start if we could get there with uh, the current city council. Yeah. Now, in terms of the low hanging fruit, are there issues that uh, citizens and PACA could bring to council, as, as Granby's described, things like the idling bylaw, for example. No, speak on the Okay. okay. There, well, there's lots of idling in the studio, but we're yeah, going to get to yeah. it. Okay, there is. Uh, of course, idling is, is extremely inappropriate, uh, especially for diesel buses, uh, right. uh, which are carcinogenic. Of which the city, uh, city has a fleet. That's right. And, yeah. and it's been shown that diesel... Uh, exhaust uh, increases the incidence of carcin- carcinoma in right. near in nearby places. So we uh, we should be uh, opposed to that. However, as as the buses drive along the street, they produce a lot more carcinogenic material than they do when they're idling. So we should be against having diesel buses of, at all. Yeah. Okay. I I just add that um, it's personally very very frustrating to to see um, um, trucks and uh, business, um, you know, 
big vehicles that come from outside the city. And if you approach them, they, they can be idling outside your home, as happened in my case, you know, for a couple of hours all morning and making a big, a lot of noise. You go out and tell them to please stop idling. Why, why do that? And they say, well, you know, we're from out of the city. We have to keep our, our vehicles running. And um, apparently the bylaw, which exists since 2006 or seven. 2008. It it doesn't apply to out of uh, city, only to city vehicles. So and what what are the terms of the bylaw? I, I must confess ignorance here. Well, I just happened to be I I, I write a, a column for Peter Pelosi. I've been doing one on idling this week. I just okay. finished before right. I got here. <laughs> I was squeezing in ten minutes of writing before I got in here, but idling. But um, I actually um, interviewed um, a communications officer from the city about it um, to find out if it it if it was being enforced and what it actually was. She sent me the information on it it's um we have a two-minute idling bylaw right now there's a 30 dollars fine it's not being enforced because there's no one to enforce it mm. um i would encourage again anybody to, that is concerned about it um because it is prevalent in places like uh, drive-throughs uh, i i had a lot of people respond to me and to my columns that one of the things they wanted to see was stop drive-throughs um and enforce the idling bylaws that we have. Um, unfortunately, there's nobody, that, there's not even a police officer that can just go, goes around and does that. There are ways, though, that you can maybe put little notices on people's cars. Um, but it does need to, to be addressed with the council because what's happened is the people that have complained in the past, their, their um, complaints have been recorded and they're now starting to bubble up to the top of a priority. Um, so when I talked to the communications officer, she said, uh, you know, for sure it, it would it would make a difference if people gave uh, a, a presentation on it, and then they would revisit this again. So should people phone who? The police? The city? For idling? Let's say. Uh, yeah, but by that time it might it just might be be too late i mean for them to to get there um i think two signs are necessary um we have a climate change action fund where we could have idling signs at places like costco and let people know there's a two-minute idling Mm -hmm. bylaw Mm -hmm. Uh, shut your engines off uh it's harmful to climate change Uh, they have them all over british columbia uh that's something that would make a big difference here as well so uh yeah we're we we can uh, advocate for that. There was okay, even Tr- Trisha. There was even an article in the CBC today that I saw that said, if you if you're at a stop sign, it you'll use less gas if you stop idling after 10 seconds. You might as well turn off your engine and start it up again when uh, when the light turns is green. So talk about a two-minute idling. It's not just bad for the environment. It's also bad for your pocketbook. Yeah, this is a pet hobby for my uh, me as well. I've done a lot of research about this. It is 10 seconds. You're right. And that uh, 10 seconds includes the replacement cost of the starter uh, motor for your car as well because that needs to be considered, okay? In places in Europe, uh, the idling is enforced at 10-second rule. Uh, France has a 10-second rule. Uh, Italy has a 15-second idling rule. So you can't pull over and let your car run. Uh, another big point is that we would like to ask the city um, that if unoccupied vehicles are running, that that not be done. That's obviously a safety concern because you've left your vehicle with the keys in it and somebody could get in the car and move it. Uh, so anybody under city contract should not be uh, outside of the vehicle with it running. I think that's a real, uh, you know, important point to remember. 
Okay. Bill, you asked about uh, low-hanging fruit a little while ago. Sure. And really, as far as I can see, the lowest-hanging fruit in terms of actual greenhouse gas reductions is the 39% of greenhouse gas emissions that are caused in in our city from residential buildings. And there's a very good opportunity right now for the the city to collaborate with the federal government, which uh, the Liberals actually announced a program for interest-free loans to upgrade your building your your home to be more energy efficient. They claim that they're going to have 300,000 people per uh, houses per year upgraded. It's nowhere near enough, but it's something. So if our city government could get along with the federal government and figure out a way to collaborate and get and make it easy for people in Peterborough to uh, uh, to find the funds to uh, to upgrade their building then we could make a real dent because that 39% is the largest component of all of the components of greenhouse gases it's bigger than transportation in our city which is i think around 34%. Yeah, great. This is a really good point and uh, i think um, <clears throat> it's important to uh, to note that there is programs through the city currently to get some retrofitting done to your home. Uh, if you qualify, you can get insulation. Uh, there is potential for a heat pump, I understand, as well as some insulation for the uh, basement. Uh, the city has been advertising this, and I do uh, suggest if people are interested in retrofitting their homes to go uh, contact the city uh, first and then uh, also encourage them to expand per- perhaps their programs, uh, to corporations and uh, other businesses that will need this kind of assistance. I think at the moment it's mostly for residential, but... Okay, now in terms of local action, you, you mentioned the, this federal funding. What are the, are there other issues that local activist PACA could take to Maria Monsef and ask for action? Are, are there, is there any opportunity there? Um, well, yes. I mean, we, we um, are planning to go and see her before the next federal budget is released, and she's invited us. Actually, she's she wants to work with us, and I think that's the way we have to work with our local representatives. Uh, tell them that we want to work with them, um, not against them, and um, and offer some suggestions. Um, but um, that's urgent public service advisory to all to people to inform them that there's a climate emergency, what they can do to release the, to reduce their carbon footprint and provide incentives and rebates for electrification and transportation. Um, solar panels now are, I have them on my house. Um, they are a huge benefit to help um, reduce emissions. And uh, also, um, if we have the grid go down, we need solar panels on all new buildings. And I was lucky to get them through Grasshopper Solar in combination with a government uh, organization called Microfit. Um, and um, they were absolutely free. Uh, the power, the energy goes back in to the grid and um, once that it adds up to the cost of the solar panels which is probably going to take another 10 years mm-hmm. um, they'll, they'll be all paid off and then we own them and then we get the benefit of the of that uh, um, to ourselves really? so that's what oh. that program ended as soon as the ford government came into power and oh. yeah <laughs> okay unfortunately so but it can it can it can be re- no but it can be reinitiated again through other sources sure and so that's something that we need to revisit again so the uh, there's only a few uh, countries in the world that have actually will actually meet their climate change um, targets and, and we are not they, living in one right well now, no, no. We, we've <laughs> right. we've been downgraded a little bit this last week apparently right but surprisingly Morocco is number one. Um, they yeah. have the largest solar farm yes. in the world. Yes. yes. 
And so, um, you know, just following examples like that from other countries is, is, is really probably a smart thing to do right now. So there's a, there are also a couple of things that I think we could talk about with Mariam Monsef, which uh, one of them is to a- allow her to recognize that if we treat oil sands workers fairly and allow them a transition from their current job, which they have digging up oil in the tar sands, they'll be able to w- move home. They'll be able to move home here to Peterborough and install solar panels on people's houses and do the retrofitting that uh, Graham was talking about and I was talking about earlier. That's how we're going to increase local employment and still be fair to the people who've moved from Peterborough to Alberta in order to work on the on the on the tar sands because there's no jobs here. So we need to present it to her as a not only a benefit to the environment but a benefit to local employment in her riding. Right. Mm-hmm. Sheila. Well, um, yeah, a couple of years ago, uh, Packer, um, with, uh, Trish actually, it was you, I think, who designed the, the four demands. There were four very specific demands to the federal government. And the number one, of course, and the biggest was stop subsidizing the fossil fuel industry and subsidies. Um, and start start uh, yeah subsidizing the renewables just put that money in and that's what the people of Canada have been saying for a long time number 2 was uh, price carbon and uh, they are doing that uh, unfortunately we have what three provinces adamantly opposed maybe more uh, but um, unfortunately we're in in uh, Ontario we do have good stickers for um, our cars and a lot of us <laughs> have them on which says uh, price carbon get rebate Save the planet, repeat. And right. that that message, I think, is getting out to people. And I haven't heard uh, too many of the gas gas station owners who are in favor of those um, Ford stickers on the on their pumps. Has anyone seen them? Um, no. No, I have not. You, I, I did. I went and looked for them during the yeah. election campaign. I went and looked at the local place up in Lakefield, and there, one of the gas stations in Lakefield had in, had installed them, and the other one had not yet installed them. But oh the, um, in the one where they had installed them, somebody, not me, had been coming and <laughs> coming coming and ripping them off. <laughs> no okay. confessions on train radio here. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I'd just like to say that you know, like the uh, <clears throat> carbon tax is a confusing thing for people because it has the uh, word tax associated. To it. Yes. Uh, this money is intended to be taken from a place that, uh, you know, uh, a world where it can be afforded and put into a place that we need to move. So I'll give an example. Uh, before that Ford government that we were talking about uh, came in, uh, there was a system in play in Ontario called the cap and trade system. And what this did was uh, essentially taxed uh, heavy emitters. Uh, took that money and dispersed it for systems like putting new glass in schools, investing in new types of transportation, subsidizing electric vehicles. Right. Um, this was a really good system, and it was starting to have a great effect. Right. Unfortunately, we have a horrible provincial government, mm. and uh, they've removed uh, uh, a lot of the measures that w- would be considered good uh, within our climate uh so there are uh, that that's actually true. There are really two fo- two potential forms of uh, putting a price on carbon. And one is cap and trade, which we did have here in Ontario, and the other one is a carbon tax, fee and dividend is what Citizens Climate Lobby calls it, and in fact the government calls it a price on pollution. Is that what it is? They didn't want to call it a carbon tax, but they lost that battle. Right. It's going to be called a carbon tax forever now. But the reality is that it, it's a it's a 
properly socially progressive uh, mechanism for funding because people who burn more fossil fuels will be paying more into that, and that's generally wealthy people. Okay. And, and, and the, but people who, who get the refund is anybody who in, completes their tax return. Anybody who completes their tax return gets I forget the number. Do you remember, Trish? I, you looked it up at $271 in Ontario. Line, line 441 yeah. on your income tax form will yeah. show you how much of your rebate was. And, uh, yeah, for our family, it was over $200 for my husband and I. And, uh, uh, yeah, no, that, I, the carbon tax has been proven by economists to be the most efficient way to curb climate change uh, with the least adverse uh, effects on the economy. And also, the, I just want to say the Liberal government's planning to plant 2 billion trees. That will also help um, uh, take CO2 out of the atmosphere. Um, and they've also stopped their, their coal plant. So, I mean, they're, they're, doing, they're making a, a little bit of headway, and, uh, and we have to appreciate what they are doing. I can, I can understand how it's a tricky thing to uh, do the transition from oil and gas, and people are afraid of crashing the economy and, you know, having, uh, losing their, uh, investments and that sort of thing. I mean, I, I know, uh, climate change activists that are even worried about that. So, um, you know, it has to be done properly. Um, and that's something we need to talk to Miriam about as well. Okay. Now we've been talking about the province quite a bit. The next provincial election is just two and a half years away, June, uh, 2022. Uh, which provincial issues might pack a focus on? in order to create positive change in policies uh, and perhaps the outcome of the next provincial election. Is there any thinking around that point? I'll tell you, our, our local MPP is completely hopeless. When we've approached him, he says that it's no use doing anything about this because Canada's contributions to uh, to greenhouse gas emissions are so insignificant. They're 1.6%, and Ontario is only one-third of that. So he's totally uh, he's totally useless to, to talk to about this. We've tried many times, uh, and he just doesn't listen at all. He's got his rote speech that he talks about, and that's the main one. We can't afford it, and it's uh, it's not going to help because we're too small. So, so what are the most urgent provincial issues that PAC would like to focus on, given that we know the government is going to, at least for now, going to drag its feet or at least not listen? Yeah, when uh, our current MPP took office, I met with him a couple times, and uh, I pushed a couple specific agendas. I thought that it would make sense to electrify transportation. So this would include a corridor from Ottawa to Toronto through Peterborough. Uh, that makes sense to invest in Ontario. Um, I also think that uh, we should plant an awful lot of trees. I had a number uh, that I'd taken yeah. to our MPP. I don't have it off the top of my head. It's an awful lot of trees to offset the carbon that humans produce. Uh, you know, that's a fact. Okay. Now, on another level, uh, we've been talking about approaching governments so far and what can PACA do, lobbying with a municipal government, lobbying our, our federal uh, MP, lo- uh, Maria Monsef, lobbying Dave Smith, the provincial government. A, a problem uh, I perceive locally, and I- I'd be interested in your views of this, is that... Um, each Saturday, I get up and I go to the the market. I go to the farmer's market. And then, of course, I also have to drop into no frills for regular groceries. And the disconnect I experience is there's this abundance. I mean, we live in a charmed part of the world. You can get 
fruit from wherever, fresh vegetables, either locally or shipped up from Texas and California. You know, the food variety is quite, quite impressive for a small urban center, and it's relatively affordable uh, for uh, at least a chunk of the population. How do we change the awareness of people that, in fact, there's a crisis? It's, it's a really tough problem because people don't really just don't see it unless it's their own Venice that's uh, that where the water's washing up onto the sidewalks. And yes, people in Peterborough yes. are, we, as you said, Bill, we're really well insulated from from the dramatic impacts of climate change that other people are seeing. So I think we need to get into people's kitchens and talk to them. We need to go and meet people in their kitchens where they re- meet and talk to them gently and listen to them and say. What concerns you about climate change? And maybe let them know a few of the things that are going to happen here, because it is going to come here, even if it isn't here now, which it is, because it wasn't this last summer, but the summer before that, there was the most days above 30 degrees of yes. any summer that ever happened here. And that wasn't projected to happen until 19, uh, 2050 or something. We had a, that happen in 2018. Right. Yeah, again, I, I go, I go back to this, um, urgent, uh, public advisory that needs to be mailed out to residents, uh, with, with, uh, that we are in a climate emergency here. Um, here's things that, uh, that city plans to do and then they need to back it up with, uh, we're gonna, we are planning to look into funding for electrification of buses and I think they are looking at that. We just don't know when they're going to do it. They had the funding for infrastructure, infrastructure and transportation and, uh, it's, it's being, uh, pushed, uh, ahead now. But, um, but show people what the, what they can do to, to reduce their their carbon footprint. Let them know how urgent it is. Talk about it more um, everywhere on our local Czech uh, TV station uh, when they when they talk about the weather. Um, you know that this is the coldest November and and uh, the most snow that we've had. Um, it's only going to get worse. Um, when they talk about the weather forecast for this winter. We're, they're talking ice storms. Ice storms could t- bring down power power lines. We could be without a power grid for days or weeks so we have to be prepared for that solar panels would, would also be the the solution for that but when i watch the news and the thing that bothers me the most is when they're talking about this is uh, mayors are saying that climate change venice is underwater mayors are saying that's because of climate change and then in the very next breath, they advertise car, car advertisements so that there's this contradiction <laughs> that, 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 that really irks me. I mean, I, and I immediately shut the TV off because it just, how can, how can we be doing this? How can we be living in this reality and then, and not living in it at the same time? When we step back to a more strategic level, are there other community-based groups somewhere in PACA's, uh, political ecosphere, Ontario, elsewhere, from which we could learn that might offer such, for example, what's going on in Sault Ste. Marie or Guelph or Belleville, all communities about the size of Peterborough. So we brought that to city council as well sure. in the presentations, and oh, I recommend other people to do the same thing. Everything's on the internet. It's so easy now to look and see what other cities are doing. Kingston, in particular, they've come to us. Uh, councillor was a, a resident of Peterborough himself, uh, Robert Kiley, and now he's a councillor in, in Kingston who actually got their 
the major climate change initiative started in Kingston. Um, I brought the template for the Kingston's um, um, plan to get their two electric buses and infrastructure there um, at, to back up their climate emergency that they declared. They have the best climate change action plan in Ontario. That's so we Kingston. Should- Kingston does. Okay. So we up. should be following their template. I uh, brought that to city council and I, I gave them all the facts and figures, where they got their funding, how they got the buses, how Peterborough could do the same thing. It's, they're our sister city. And, uh, what they, you know, they haven't done anything with that information yet. I'm hoping they still do and there's still time to do it in. Again, the more people that advocate for the same thing, um, and electric mm-hmm. buses is a start. It might not look like much, but it shows people that electrification is really important when they're making that big decision. 2020 is coming up. There's all this new line of gas fuel vehicles that they can choose from trucks and SUVs. Why not pick a Kona that can go 450 kilometers rather than an, uh, an SUV, a Toyota SUV if it's the same price? And right. people just need that information. So I think information is a huge piece. The city needs to get it out and more people need to know, um, you know, what they can do. Now, do, does anyone know, are the cities speaking to each other? Let, let me talk about that, Bill. Sure. Just because there's, a, there's an organization which only formed in January of this year, which calls itself the Climate Caucus and it's Rick Lochtenberg from from, uh, I don't remember, somewhere in British Columbia, who's the, the guiding force of that. And Robert Kiley is a member of that, a very active member of that organization. And what it is, is a gr- uh, all of the cities in Canada could join this and learn from each other on what are the actions that work for, uh, for, for combating climate change. Now, I did send around an email to all of the new councillors as this uh, organization was forming, but two of them who said they were interested got in, got, started looking at it and it was too complicated. At this point, I think it's more mature and I think that it could benefit, they could be, they could benefit from having the experience of talking to other councillors in other cities who are having, who are taking other actions. That's a really good way. Thanks for reminding me about that because I think I will send another email to the, to the ones who responded in the, in the affirmative last time. Okay, great. Now, for citizens, people living at home, be they students, be they renters, be they homeowners, what is PACA urging people to do in practical actions? You know, there's this cycle of, how shall I say, assumed virtuosity, you know, I'm more virtuous than you are because I recycle more than you do, I, uh, you know, let my grass grow longer, I don't cut with a gas-driven more, I, you know, put out my plastic bags and tins every week. Uh, what are the actual, actually effective things that local people can do? Sheila? Well, yeah, well, I think um, leading by example and uh, leading by uh, talking to people in your own particular circles is really important. Um, Guy, a moment ago, touched on the uh, kitchen table conversations that uh, came out of a, a group in Toronto, actually. And um, it's it's a really good initiative in that uh, you, you try to get neighbors and friends and whoever together and uh talk about the emergency of climate change and usually it comes down to one's personal individual um, convictions and willingness to change you know like eat in season for instance you know don't don't expect your strawberries uh, in January and February because it's it's that's climate carbon 
carbon footprint is just not feasible. Um, and just talking about those things, but I, I personally have great faith in um, the youth who are getting out there and demonstrating on um, so many issues to do with climate change. And I think that's where the future lies. So we try to really get out and help if there's a student demonstration or anything that they are leading. We seniors get behind them because we know their, their future is at stake and, um, you know, existentially, that's we we feel that, and they feel it strongly. So we're allies, and maybe the people in the middle generations are so concerned with making a living and raising their kids. But I do think that seniors and the youth have a, have a big bond, and and we are supporting each other. That's that's one thing we're doing. Well, I, I'm glad you mentioned youth because in this studio uh, back in April, uh, Lydia Etherington who uh, was a student, uh, a local student here in high school. She's studying Japan now, finishing her her studies. She brought in a group of uh, students. They were 16, 17, I think one 18-year-old. And I was humbled by by their knowledge base, uh, their scientific knowledge base, uh, what they trotted out. They they sat here and... uh, uh, sort of deciphered these fairly complex issues. What... What does PACA hope to do in conjunction with youth, uh, advocate with youth, uh, talk to youth about involvement? Are there any plans? Yeah, uh, I think I just wanted to jump in really and, uh, you know, go back one point, but uh, it is including with uh, this youth question here. A big thing that we want out of PACA is for people to uh, make their voice heard. We want them Mm -hmm. to come out and protest. We want them to come and show support for the students who are desperate to have change. Uh, You know, we we need physical bodies to come and show that uh, there are people that desire this change and that there's other people that are working for it. there is a, a a youth organization here in Peterborough, and uh, uh, you know the, the Peterborough Youth Empowerment Group does a lot of good work to organize uh, some things. And there's Fridays for Future happening all around the world with the youth. Um, so I think the biggest thing is if you're not one of those youth yourself, <clears throat> you could ask one. And say, how can I help you? Because that really is uh, what we're trying to do. Uh, we're having a hard time with accessing mm-hmm. uh, consistent youth to come to our meetings and sure. and to show us what they need from us. But um, <clears throat> I think the thing that I've seen out of a lot of the people in involved with PACA is that they really want to help have an effect for good change with regards to the climate uh, crisis. And uh, that's what we're here uh, looking to do. Now, in terms of direct action, uh, if we accept the, the definition of direct action as doing something locally, using uh, locally doing uh, using available human resources, uh, the available human resources at hand, are without giving away your your strategy playlist for the coming uh, few months, are there projects PACA might take on, like regular climate strikes, road or rail uh, demonstrations, blockades, recycling projects, er- emission reduction actions, etc.? Are there things that you're considering that way? Yes, I think it's time we considered <clears throat> trying to merge the New Democratic Party and the Green Party. Uh, I know that would right. be very difficult, <clears throat> but... Um, as as they are now, they divide the vote. They people are afraid to vote New Democrats, so they vote Liberal, which is a total waste of time. Uh, I mean, the Liberal, the Liberal Party seems to be uh, on the left, but it is not. It's a, just another capitalist party. Uh, 
What needs to be done is that the liberals, uh, sorry, the NDP and the Greens merge. And and uh, I'm well aware that there are well-entrenched oligarchies, probably in both parties, but certainly in the NDP, because I've had a lot of experience with it, mm-hmm. and it will not be easily overthrown. But I think it's worth the struggle because these, two, if these two parties could be put together, they could constitute a force that could overwhelm the liberals and the conservatives and could get something, Canada doing something very good to stop climate change, sure. which at the moment is not happening and is not in sight. Sure, Graham. Ken, what would you suggest uh, the NDP Green Party merger do, uh, like with regards to climate change? <clears throat> well, I would suggest that that uh, they immediately transition, uh, transition. Pardon me, as soon as possible. Bearing in mind, you can't do it overnight, which should be done. <laughs> would it were possible to do it overnight? But they should transition from fossil fuel use in everywhere where we use energy to sustainable electricity. By sustainable, we mean electricity generated by wind, solar, or or hydro, um, and par- perhaps for temporarily atomic uh, energy. <clears throat> um, but we can't do this without government action. It's it is it's not helpful to talk about individual action. Uh, there's a book, a guy called David McKay, a professor of natural science in, in, in England, who has written a book in which he says, if we all do a little, it'll help a little. And I think you're right. 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 Yeah. So so that's that's what I would suggest. I'm going on a little bit long, maybe. No, 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 that's fine. Now, on the level of politics, what what would PACA say to uh, students, be they in high school and college? Like, how to get into the system, how to exert pressure on the system, how to have influence uh, at municipal, provincial, or, or federal level. W- what's the council? What's the message? Well, I, I think that w- one thing's really bothering a lot of us at the moment is the uh, fear that uh, the Trans Mountain uh, Extension uh, pipeline is, go- is going to go ahead because uh, the, the Liberals want to do it, uh, Justin Trudeau, and, and he will get the support of the Conservatives, and yes. that's really concerning mm-hmm. um, because, uh, you know, if it goes ahead, it's it's just such a blow to the whole climate change action um, plan that, that that we're working on it'll um, just depress everybody and and be such a, a downer it'll be horrible but um, I think uh, you know that there are even even in that dire situation there are things that that can be done and um, I was looking at uh, what is being done? The legal challenges, for instance, eco justice, and and I must uh, you know give a shout out to the the wonderful environmental um, organisations we have in this in this country, from the David Suzuki Foundation and uh, eco justice and environmental law and so on. Um, they are taking the um, the challenge to to the Supreme Court of Canada uh, on on the. Um, on the issue of the whales, the the what are they oh. called? The southern southern white southern resident whales. Uh, there were seventy six, and the young man who who wrote in the paper the other day he talked about the seventy six whales. Well, they're now down to seventy three. Um, you know, they're they're dying in, in the uh, on the west coast to do with the. Um, you know the the pollution of the, of the water and the heating of the oceans and everything. Then, so the environmental 
the legal challenges are, are really important. Also, the the youth are involved, and many others involved with um, uh, the banks and and the uh, uh, what is it called? The stopping of investments, the divestment, the divestment of of fossil fuel um, investments from the uh, banks, and and the youth are doing that on the uh, university level, and some of our. Politicians like uh, Yves Francois Blanchet, he's having nothing to do. So there's the east, east-west divide in Canada. There, he is having nothing to do with the um, Trans Mountain Pipeline, but he he won't be. And then I I look to the youth again. The um, there are youth groups all over the country out demonstrating along with indigenous groups that. Hopefully, we'll stop this. They've they've stalled it so far, and hopefully, it will stop. Yeah, I'm really interested to watch a bit some legal action going forward with uh, you know these youth. Uh, you mentioned uh, briefly about the uh, whales, um, but you know there is uh, there is challenges now that say that Section uh, Seven, uh, you know, of our uh, our Charter of Rights uh, guarantees the life, liberty, and personal security of all Canadians. And uh, there are youth now saying that they are not guaranteed that same right and uh, that we have unbalanced that system. And I think uh, that will be really interesting to watch go through the courts. Okay. Trisha. I think that's important as well, but it just takes so long to go through the courts that I think right now we all need to focus on some short, easy uh, low-hanging fruit, like you say, that we can all work together on, get as many groups together on. Petitions are huge. Um, f- f- you know, get on the same page with what what we can actually do right now and take those to our local representatives. Again, uh, oh, recently over 11,000 scientists from 153 countries warned that the planet clearly unequivocally faces a climate emergency and there we need to do the f- six steps. So we, there's, you know, if we're all on the same page with the six steps, basically what we've already talked about, the electrification of transportation, um, renewables, retrofitting, Getting the funding for these things, and our local MP has got together a group of six youth and six seniors, actually, and she wants us to work together. We have to eventually hand down the torch. In ten years from now, mm-hmm, we might mm-hmm. not be here. We have to mm-hmm. work with the youth and and get them to carry things through. And, it, and they've got a loud voice because I think Greta Thunberg has given youth a louder voice, and they now have more confidence. It's amazing sure. what they can do at City Hall. Um, so the six things that the, um, the 11,000 scientists uh, have just come out with is phasing out fossil fuels, replacing large-scale land clearing with reforestation, which the Liberals are trying to do, uh, stabilizing global population, shifting to a carbon-free economy, reducing meat consumption, shifting goals from the GDP growth and the pursuit of affluence towards sustaining ecosystems and improving human well-being by prioritizing basic needs. I think that has to be looked at as well. That's a sort of a, a systemic a, a system that uh, change. Um, but youth okay. are, you know, I mean, they are the examples of what we have to think about our health. If, if climate change is not just to save the, uh, the environment, but it's to save our health as well um, and get back to the basics with a, a healthy lifestyle um, and work with youth on that as well. But 
get them to. I think, I think there's an, an important aspect that uh, I, I was. I was better preface this. I was up at a, a meeting with, uh, not a meeting, a lecture at Trent University today, and the the topic of it was politics and climate change, politics in Canada and climate change, mm. and the undergraduate students who were there were. Um, at the end of it, we're depressed by the complexity of making the changes. And the professor uh, described the kinds of changes in two categories. One, which is the liberal category, which is to use the marketplace. doesn't necessarily mean the liberal party, but to use the marketplace with tools like carbon price and, uh, and, and regulations. And the other one is the critical. He called it critical, but he put quotes around it, and I didn't get a chance to ask him why. But that one is the one which is represented by the Green New Deal, which might might be what uh, what uh, Ken Ranney is looking for, which is basically, if you look at the Green New Deal, it's actually the Green New Democrats, GND. Isn't that handy? So that's the place to go. But their, uh, their target is not just to combat climate change. It's to make a so, to have social changes in, in the, in, and political changes that make the whole of the a system better, different. In fact, many of the people from places like Extinction Rebellion are saying things like, it's not climate change, it's system change. And really, right. I think that's what it is. It is system change. And I kind of agree with Trish that we have to go along with the things that we're doing now, like convincing the government to raise the taxes as high as we possibly can and to stop f- f- funding fossil fuels. But in the sa- at, the, at the same time, we have to go and blow up the system and replace it with something else. Now, and this Green New Deal is a way to do that. Sure. Now, there are those business advocates, and of course, they're, they're in Peterborough as well, who would say things like, well, who is going to pay for this? These changes will trash our standard of living. Uh, it will raise unemployment. It will make make it devastate devastate uh, many local businesses at the end uh, you're going to cause us a lot more suffering than we would have to uh, face with climate change it's going to cost more in the long run if we don't do it the cost of climate change is going to exceed the cost of doing something about it today okay okay ken do you have the mic well i was just uh I'm agreeing with, uh, with a great deal of what you just said, Guy. Uh, but, but <laughs> That's a first, but Ken and I are agreeing on something. <laughs> well, but I want to harken back to what Trish was saying. And and I, I would say, and if it doesn't sound too negative, it's hard to do those things in capitalist society. Now, if we get system change and we get rid of capitalism, yes. Yep. But that's not the light that I see at the end of the tunnel. Right. And right. to be honest, Ken, neither did these students who, who are all young enough to be our grandchildren. They didn't see it either. And I w- they were saying they, they don't see seeing it in their lifetime. And I was trying to say, your lifetime is a lot longer than mine. And I'm getting impatient. I hope that we can do something together. Hmm. When, when I heard Naomi Klein uh, speaking about the Green New Deal and so on, she really emphasized the... Um, the, the jobs that will be created through the, through the Green New Deal. Okay. Um, you know, it's not a question of uh, just uh, leaving the oil and gas workers, but the transition has to be a just transition from that to the, to the new economy. And yeah, that's, that's what I think. 
Okay, Graham. Yeah, I think uh, I think this is true. I think it's been proven that the green economy can be uh, more uh, profitable for everybody. Uh, I know we only have a couple minutes, Bill, so I want to just quickly put in that uh, Peterborough Alliance for Climate Action has a Facebook page, and if you'd like to get involved, uh, please go to Peterborough Alliance for Climate Action Facebook page. You can message us through there uh, if you want to come out to a rally and get notifications. Uh, there, uh, Sheila will talk briefly about uh, protests because that's what we're all about. Okay, Sheila. So the, there's a, a young man, uh, Gabriel Totsi Stamu, uh, who founded Growth Canada right here in Peterborough, and I think it's he's a student at Thomas A. Stewart, and um, he's organizing a, um, a rally this coming Wednesday, the twentieth. Uh, an anti, anti-pipeline rally, yeah, at Confederation Park downtown at noon on Wednesday. And it would be great to see a lot of support there for him. He wants people to come with, with placards, with banners, with support. Um, it's wonderful to see the young people. And, and as, as I've said before, I really think that's where the future lies. We have to support the, the young people doing this. Okay, la- last words. Um, just to wrap up that people should go away with. Yeah, I'd like to leave it on a positive note because I think this this is the year um, for us uh, to, to be positive. Um, uh, we have to make a dent in 2020 and we have to do it quickly. Um, I think what we want to do is get people together um, to work on the same projects and sign petitions. I, I have written some articles where I've g- given suggestions to people about how to reduce carbon fuel emissions, and if they want to contact me, they can. Uh, my, I've given my email address out, and I've got an amazing feedback from the city, from the community. Um, the more people, the power to the people. Uh, so I'll give it again, trisha.clarkson at gmail.com. If you have any ideas, suggestions, um, I will email you the ones we have. We're going to take them to our local representatives and get them to implement them. Okay, last words. Anyone? Uh, you asked a question. You asked us to look to imagine that we're looking back from 2021 and see what, what would we like to have seen happen. And I will say these three things. We would like to see an electronic bus trial happening in Peterborough okay. so that at least they've got that going. We would like to see a retrofit, uh, an existing housing retrofit program up and running with some people trained in how to do it and many people already participating it, in it. And we would like to see the Peterborough um, uh, Environmental Action Committee uh, have produced some plans for how to implement the Peterborough Climate Change Action Plan, and we would like to see some dollars in the budget to implement the plans that that group is going to come forward with. All right, and on that note, thank you very much. Uh, Trisha Clarkson, Graham Mars, Guy Hanschett, Ken Rainey, and Sheila Nabagan-Wohel. Thank you so much for coming out on a chilly night. Uh, this has been the 20th program of our 2019 uh, series here on Trent Radio. In addition to this radio show, we're streamed live on the Trent Radio website. We also have a podcast at pintsandpolitics.ptbopodcasters.ca. The podcast of tonight's show will be up uh, tomorrow by tomorrow night, Friday night. We post on Twitter at Bill Temp and on our Facebook page, Pints and Politics. Podcast. Please join us here at 92.7 on your dial when we return in two weeks with a, a panel on uh, income uh, security with uh, economist Evelyn Forget, Joel Favreau of the YWCA, and Jason Hartwick of the Nourish Project. And if you miss us here in the radio, you can always download.
download uh, the show as a podcast the next day at the uh, website I just gave, pintsandpolitics.ptvopodcast.ca. Until November 28th, this is Bill Templeman.